Hey friends, thanks for joining us on the Changed Movement podcast. For more resources, visit changedmovement.com or follow us on Instagram. Let's get started. Hello everybody. Um, This week Ken is on vacation with his extended family and so I'm on my own this morning but I'm happy to welcome our friend Ann Polk, the Executive Director of Restored Hope Network. Hey Ann, could you uh, maybe start with sharing a little bit of your background? We don't often get to hear your testimony. Yeah, I grew up in Idaho and I was the youngest of all the kids uh, out of four. And when I was like three or four years old, I'd been, I'd been pretty, you know, pretty well protected and, you know, loved and wanted. But my sister told me later on, she said, uh, you know, you were an accident. And your mom and dad didn't want you. So I like, that was just so mean. <laughs> I don't know. But kids do that. They do that kind of stuff, right? So I kind of believe that. My mom spent the rest of her life later on after she'd heard about it trying to fix that. Every time I see her, she tells me, oh, no, we, I knew I had one more child I could have and I wanted you. <laughs> like, Gosh. But I went through like so 25 years believing that was the reality. Wow. <laughs> so that's one thing. Then when I was turning about four years old, I was, um, someone asked me, to ask this teenage boy in the neighborhood, how come there aren't any pictures of boys in this porn? And I like was so young, I didn't know what porn was. I was so little, but an older child asked me to ask this boy. So I dutifully, stupidly, but I was three, you know, going on four, asked him. Well, he thought that was an open door to experiment with me, which led to me being molested and exposed to a lot of porn. So I was really young when that happened. And at the same time, my grandfather, who everybody loved, um, my sister and I would fight over a position where we would get, he'd sit on the front porch and we'd fight over who got to sit between his legs on the next step down. Cause we just like loved him, you know, having him around you. Yeah. 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 We just, he was so awesome with us girls. He was great with the guys too, but he was so good with us. Um, yeah. So he died that summer. Um, and I was molested that summer. So I started bedwetting again and having negative dreams. And um, yeah, it was just not a good deal, right? But my parents thought it was related to my grandfather dying. So that wouldn't be talked about for probably 20 years. Wow. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, overnight, I turned from a little girl who used to like dolls like Barbies, they weren't that cool, but you know, yeah, I I was following my sister's footsteps in those ways, and they used to make special outfits and sew them and what have you, and I'm like, yeah, no, overnight, I was like, absolutely, they're out, Um, and I'm going to do anything to act more like a boy, and so when you see pictures of me at eight years old, six years old, you see what looks like a little boy, but it was me. It was, it was a little girl. Uh, now they would have said, oh, you must be a, a boy in a girl's body, right? I mean, that would have been my story. Yeah. Uh, and they wouldn't have looked at trauma. They wouldn't have looked at all the things that are underlying. They don't even ask those questions uh, when they walk through stuff with kids, which I find, you know, I, as a mother now, whoever would have guessed that would have ever happened. 
Um, I wouldn't have, I'll tell you that. But as a mom, I think kids so need to be protected, boys and girls. And yet look what's happening. They're just being funneled down this way to confirm misbelief in order to solve internal problems potentially, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really solve them. It just confirms them. And so I find that to be kind of cruel, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, I was going through um, and... And then this little girl made a pass at me and I was like, you know, kindergarten, needing friends. And uh, I realized, oh, this felt good. And I feel like I'm in charge of it. It's not something imposed upon me. And so that opened the door to uh, lesbianism, honestly, um, to attraction to girls. Uh, Before that, it hadn't even occurred to me. Believe it or not, with all this other dysfunction, it just hadn't like, <laughs> just hadn't happened. But from then on out, it was an issue for me. Huh. And um, so fourth and fifth grade, I was trying to kiss girls. You know, it goes on and on. None of my parents didn't know any of that either. They were just, you know, I was just doing my thing, yeah. trying to make my way, I guess. Um, yeah, so through junior high, all the girls did the jump to, you know, they went through puberty. They're staring at themselves in the mirror, trying to make their hair just so, and their makeup. And I'm like walking through the bathroom with my head down and not looking at them and walking to use the restroom and walking out. And just shame covered me, you know. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of shame. And I had emerging stronger feeling towards girls. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what to do about that. It wasn't popular then. It wasn't the hip culture. It was like the unspoken, don't talk about this kind of thing. That was yeah. my age, right? So I did share it with the girl I was attracted to. She panicked, ran away. I'm like, okay, this not going too well. So I hid for a few years through high school. And I hid by um, not dating and then dating boys, but dating a bunch of boys all at the same time. So it was like this protective thing where you keep all three at bay. Mm. <laughs> I was like, it's just lame. I did it. <laughs> it was my story. So I, I just really didn't know what the heck was going on. And um, so I go away to college. Um, I had had some really basic distant Christian experience. Um, My parents went to a pretty liberal, kind of moralistic Presbyterian churches. Well, kind of like, you know, the fathers know best or the moral story that used to be part of all the TV shows. They'd talk about that, but maybe not talk about scripture. And they would, um, I don't think I ever heard about Jesus dying for my sins and what sin was. (laughs) I just didn't I, yeah. I didn't. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, and I never heard any of that either. Never. It's not cruel. It's just real. It's just mm-hmm. talking about how real people have real needs, and and God answers those real needs. I'm like, somehow I missed it. All of that. I just didn't. So God was kind of to me, a creator God who made everything and then stepped away because I didn't have a personal relationship and I didn't really know Him. So I went away to college. I embraced homosexuality. I went to, I really had trouble with the little bit of scripture that I'd read. And it was just so little. I didn't read much. I stopped, started from the front like a novel and I got so far and then I quit, you know? And by that time, unfortunately, I'd read some things that convicted me. 
about where I was going with my life. And I, I wanted to get rid of the conviction and follow whatever I felt. So I worked on that. That's very common nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. People are exposed to truth and they just want to shut the truth down. Uh, they don't want to think about it or figure out how that impacts them. They don't want to actually. kind of hurts a little bit. Yeah, it does. It does hurt a little bit. But God has a solution for that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to be willing to take it. You know, yeah. and I wasn't ready, honestly. And yeah. so it's okay. I, so I, I went away to, to get counseling, got counseling from a guy who said, oh, yeah, you can be Christian and gay, no problem. And this is way before it was him. <laughs> and so I, uh, I went with that, but I, I decided, you know what? Having God anywhere is just too much trouble to what I want to do. So forget him. I just, whatever little I knew, I'm like, yeah, he's out and I'm in charge. We're going this way. <laughs> so I did. I went to gay bars. I was not anywhere near 21. I was probably 18. I was 18. I was going in bars, you know, put my thumb over the year. They let me in. I'm like, all right. I was, uh, I was doing as much as I could to run as fast as I could in that direction. Um, confiding in my Jewish friends who seemed to have no trouble with it. And one of them was gay anyway. And mm -hmm. so she helped initiate me into the group. I joined the rugby team. I didn't know anything about rugby, but they were all lesbians all hanging all over each other. <laughs> so that was my, that I was driven, you know, I was like, yeah, watch the movies, go do whatever. And um, was beginning to make friends in all those areas. And then here I was in a meeting on campus at UC Santa Barbara. That's where I was going, a very party yeah. focused school. Just, uh, I didn't know that. My parents certainly didn't know that uh, <laughs> when I was going there, but they party hardy all the time. I mean, yeah. that's what they do. They drink. Southern California style. Yeah, Southern Cal, that's right. So um, there I was in a meeting trying to reconcile and just trying to figure out how to tell my parents I'm gay, right? This was before it was also cool. So I go up to this one mom and she panics as I walk up to her. I'm like, what do you mean? You just, with P-Flag, you just said how comfortable you were with your son's homosexuality and his partner. Why are you panicking when I walk up to you? she had a response and I thought the truth of the matter is you don't feel comfortable with homosexuality yeah. <laughs> and there may be a reason for that and it pointed back to conviction and then I was like wait a minute I was kind of blown away and then I I just kind of as I walked up there I, I sensed deep in my soul you're not going to find the love you're searching for here and I thought, wow, that didn't come from me. Uh, hello? <laughs> I know that voice told me is true, but that wasn't me. So God pierced right through me pursuing everything wholeheartedly, going the opposite direction. Fast, hard, furious, I was going. And he just, boom, laid, laid this down on my soul. And at that point, I'm like, okay, well, we've got to explore this a little bit. So I ran off to the college campus on a Friday night and just sobbed. I just wept. I was like ruined. 
here I am thinking all my hope is found in this one community. And I just heard a voice that I knew was telling me the truth saying, a thought in my head, mind you, the love that you're seeking, you're not going to find here. And I thought, okay, what's, what's happening here? <laughs> so I just, I just prayed. I wanted to know who the real God was, uh, but was hoping it wasn't the Christian God so I could still do my thing. That's what I really wanted. I wanted to go find the perfect girl that would fill all my needs and make me feel substantial, significant, and would see something of value in me. Because that's what the big gap, that was the big goal in my life. And um, there I was praying and saying, okay, well, the true God, please stand up. But, and no cults or no, you know, other things we're allowed to step into here. I kind of set out fleeces, which I didn't know what fleeces were, you know. Okay, so here are the signs that I'm expecting to see from the true God. And here are the, well, boom, 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 boom. Put down a list, essentially, and said, by the way, I hope that you're not the Christian God, because I still want to find a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. so, so, meanwhile, two weeks later, I'd forgotten about all that, and God... Um, began to answer those things. Boom, 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 boom. You know, he's so smart. He can do it all. I can't. <laughs> I fell for this girl in an accounting class who was treating these um, uh, kind of edgy looking gals. They were wearing all black. They had black fingernails, black lipsticks, hair stuck up, and they, everybody else was scared to death of them. But here was this gal who was being very kind, sitting next to him and befriending this group of people. And I was like wowed by it. And so I was drawn to her. Turns out she was a Christian. Hmm. Turns out she was leaving homosexuality. A couple of the different, hmm. if you are the Christian God, here are the things I'm going to need to see. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he, he lined it. it up. Wow. He had me sitting right behind hmm. her, a row behind, watching this happen. Hmm just crazy stuff but I still didn't know him I was just beginning to want to know him begin mm -hmm. to have dreams about Jesus but nonetheless yeah I was I was even sleeping around with guys at that time because I was trying to figure out my way where am I who am I would they give me a sense of significance would they hide my attractions to girls mm -hmm. you know stuff you just emotional react and it goes all haywire. Well, for me, I was a disaster on wheels, absolute disaster. And doing everything and anything, doing drugs, fell in love with this other girl at campus who was going with a boyfriend who offered me shrooms. <laughs> I don't like mushrooms. So that's the only reason why I didn't try them. I didn't know he meant psychedelic mushrooms. <laughs> it's just lame, right? You just are so naive. You're dangerous to yourself. <laughs> yeah. So anything, in, but my, my well-being, my sense of well-being was declining. It wasn't growing. It was becoming worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And I remember then I started having dreams about Jesus. I had three dreams. That wow. this person who looked like Jesus in my mind showed up in my dreams. He didn't say anything. It was just there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing in my dream? Get out of, get out of here. Wow. Yeah. 
So then I confided that my Jewish friends who thought I was, what? <laughs> that was my whole cluster of friends were all my Jewish friends from LA. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they didn't know what to do with me. My jo jogging partner, Jody, we would, because I'd gained the freshman 10 or 15 or 20 pounds, we'd be going jogging and then I'd be going, Jody, I had this dream. What do I do about this? She's like, I don't know. So, wow. yeah. so that's my whole beginning, right? Uh -huh. Who would have even known I didn't actually encounter the God of the Bible, but he showed up and he yeah. kept showing up. And I eventually had so many questions about who Jesus said he was. I ended up on a, um, in a group on campus, this Baptist Christian movement called um, Campus Ambassadors. Mm. I wasn't even a Christian. I had not given my heart to the Lord. <laughs> And I ended up in an evangelism training class because they were answering the questions I was asking. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. So God is just He's very sneaky. He's so funny. <laughs> so I go through this whole class and I was there every night. I was hungry. Mm -hmm. They were, they were answering questions that I had. And, um, I began to see him debating people on campus. It was a time where there was a lot of new age belief on campus. Um, this extra sensory perception, et cetera, et cetera. That was all hip and big then. It was a lot of spiritualism, but not Christianity. Kind of similar to today, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, he would debate this pastor, out of, a Jewish believer. He would debate these folks on campus, anybody who'd be willing to, to have a formal debate. And Christianity had so much to it that answered the real questions of the heart. Like, why is there evil? Why is there, why is that offensive to us? If we were from primordial sludge, nothing that's done should cause any problem because there's no moral, there is, there should be no offense. Mm -hmm. Christianity clearly made comment about why there's evil, why it offends us, and that we weren't made for it. Yeah. And so the so, rapes yeah. that were happening on campus and all that kind of stuff, I mean, they deeply troubled me. I was really offended by and really protective mm -hmm. uh, over my friends, right? Yeah. Well, God's protective. He, he doesn't like evil. He hates evil, but he wants to rename us mm -hmm. from it. He wants to pull us out of that evil and make us into uh, people like him yeah. after his own character. Mm -hmm. And I was nowhere near that. So I could be offended and realize there was evil in me. Yeah. So anyway, that was the beginning of, and, and then um, the end of that like six to eight week time, I, uh, I recognized that when we were, they were praying and I pretended <laughs> just, I did what I thought yeah. you were supposed to do. I was just like, yeah, yeah, what I grew up with. And uh, what happened during that time was that the Holy Spirit showed up. That God was in the room. He was there. And he, was, he showed me with my head bowed. He didn't show me with my physical eyes. He showed me with my heart. He showed me that he was present. And that he was weaving in and out of the prayers of the saints in that room, but he was nowhere around me. But there was this big gap. I mean, he was around me, but he wasn't in me. There was a hole around where I was. And it was like, 
wow, God is here. And his character is so, he just revealed himself as being full of kindness and full of authority. And I was like, Interesting. I'm in love. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is the ultimate person. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, I'm impressed. I've seen a lot of power used the wrong way. Yeah. And how awesome to see power used in the best way. And so I went and told the pastor this afterwards. He's like, oh, I can see the Lord is drawing you. <laughs> Here's the sinner's prayer. If you want to pray this later, just let me know. Uh, because Satan's not going to want you let you go. And I felt like I was a doll. I was like, I was like being pulled one way with goodness and pulled another way with darkness. And I was the glasses in between being about pull apart, you know. Yeah. And I had to make a decision. I was going to go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And that night I did. I, I asked him to be my Lord and Savior. I asked him to come into my life to fill my heart, to, you know, take it all, take everything mm -hmm. and move me forward. And I felt like I'd finally been just lit up with joy, lit up. I mean, forgiven for all the endless crap I'd done <laughs> and all that I would do. Amazing. Who is this person? And he came in to reside in me. Whoa. Okay, this is way awesome. So uh, I didn't call the pastor that night. I should have. Uh, but my friend who was the lesbian Jewish friend who was on the rugby team called me immediately and said, hey, Ann, come on over. Like, All right, I can't wait to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> so I come over like late, late at night. And she probably had other plans. And I'm like, no, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> okay, uh, you, can, you can go now. Uh. So, I was like blown away. God is wow. so awesome. But I had so much baggage I was carrying forward. Mm -hmm. I just had so much going on in my soul. I had so many pains, so many traumas of the past and so many current ways um, that he'd have to work his way through and then to teach me how to really live. Um, mm -hmm. And he, he did that faithfully, carefully, like holding my hand, you know, walking me step by step. Not expecting me to be an adult. I was a baby. <laughs> right. you know? uh -huh. So I, I, I just, I just love him. I love him so much. Um, I'm so grateful that he'd bother, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so you talk for a minute. Yeah, I'll talk for a minute. I'm going to regroup here. <laughs> While you regroup. Well, yeah. I think, you know, one of the, we could, talk about so much because um, you, you have such a deep awareness and knowledge of um, the journey itself, like your exposure to all of the different ministries that have been involved in being, bringing redemption and restoration to people right. for years and years now, like more than half of your life probably at this point. And well, yeah, actually. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, and so I mean, so you you just you're you're an you just you know so much and you've seen so much. One one of the things that I'm I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about. I don't want I don't want to leave without hearing what Restored Hope Network is and what it does. Hmm. But then I also kind of want everyone to know why it even exists. Like, how did it come to be formed, and a little bit of the history there so that we all have a right perspective as we move forward. Yeah, thank you. Well, yes, I have 
um, I got help at probably 24 years old. So more than half of my life, mm -hmm. I've been involved in this ministry. Yeah. Um, when I really needed help and I had stumbled into a lesbian relationship as a believer with another Christian, uh -huh. I was a couple years into my walk with Jesus. So um, I asked him to come and help me. And I like the sin. I like, I like the girl. Um, and you're going to have to do something because I can't. So he showed up, but he also directed me to help from people that had been there. And I didn't know there really were any. I didn't know of ministries. They weren't known um, at all at that time. There was nobody on news or TV or it was all underground, just known in the church, in certain churches, not even in all. And so um, God orchestrated for me to find out about um, a ministry in San Rafael, California. That was about, that was about an hour and a half hour 20 minutes away from my house. Um, I lived in Walnut Creek at the time. And I drove that hour and 20 minutes every Friday night and then an hour and 20 minutes back um, because I wanted to gain or learn from those who'd been there also and see what they're doing and just be real. And at that point, my heart was ripped open again and I was just really raw because my relationship with this girl had just broken up and I'd confided, but I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to grow. And they did, but they were so gracious. It was a Friday night drop-in group. And uh, there are three or four of us gals there and a whole bunch of guys. Mm -hmm. And they also had a live-in discipleship program at Frank and Anita Worthen's group. Ah. It was thriving at the time. Yeah. Um, there were a bunch of people there, mm -hmm. six women, uh, living there and about 20 guys. So quite a wow. few. Wow. Yeah. And it was just Christian discipleship. Let's, let's have a Bible study once a week. We'll have a, a family dinner and meeting another time, uh, prayer time, another night of the week. Otherwise you're working full time and you're coming home and eating together and then working through these um, um, curriculum just a book with a bunch of questions that then you'd open up and share with those in your household about, well, I wasn't living there at that point. I was attending the Friday night thing and just going and being really raw and seeing the people around me was such an encouragement because I saw people who were actually, you know, having a harder time than me. And then people that had been having as hard a time as me and people now who were a little bit past that where they were actually beginning to thrive a little bit. And I saw them along this whole continuum of how they were doing. Mm -hmm. And so that was my initiation into uh, ministry, for, mm -hmm. specifically to, to, related to unwanted same-sex attraction. Mm -hmm. And then I lived in that household for two years. Um, I applied, forgot to save up the down payment. <laughs> then God provided the money miraculously, and I, I was in. Yeah. And um, it was good. It was like iron sharpens iron. We didn't all like each other. Um, and, you know, Jeanette Howard, who wrote Out of Egypt, was my house leader. She didn't like wow. me. <laughs> so, so that was fun. Um, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I know a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, she likes me now. Yep. And I like her. <laughs> uh, but at the time, I was just kind of a pain, probably. Yeah. And, um 
yeah, so we had we had times where there were attractions, we had times where there weren't amongst that crowd. Most of the time it was really, really healthy. And we were actually growing and um, we're helping the first year you weren't allowed to serve in the church so you could receive. It was so mm -hmm. smart because a lot of people hide behind serving. Yeah. Um, and then the next year, if you wanted to serve, you could. And I worked with kids. I love little kids and, um, and so on. And I would just, you know, that. I almost stumbled again right after those two years. And then I realized I began to see my life through the cross, the both forward and back. So I, I had this moment where I saw, you know, everything I've done, he's forgiven, but I'm living in light of his redemption as opposed to fearfully. Right. Yeah. I've been carrying some fear forward that I would act that way. And sure enough, I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when I felt real grief over my actions, I felt like, gosh, Lord, I'm really sorry. I, I just really, I, I failed you. I, you've invested all this in me and look what I did mm. or I was about to do yeah. and was rescued out of doing it, but I would have gone there. So I knew that in my heart, right? So I felt a real grief and I carried that grief for probably six months. Mm. I just really hurt over my own, my own sin nature that yeah. it was alive and well. And out of that grief time came grace. It came, it was always there. Yeah. It, it wasn't missing, but I needed to hurt so that I could, I personally needed to hurt in a different way. I needed to hurt um, realizing that I was hurting the heart of God. Yeah. And I felt for him for the first time as opposed to feeling always for me. Mm. Yeah. And out of that came a whole myriad of gifts. Wow. Uh, one is I saw people differently. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I, I went with a friend of mine. She was part of a softball league in Marin County, and it was all lesbians mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah, and I was thought, yeah. oh, I can't go there. Well, yes, I could, and I did. She coerced me into going, and I, and I decided to go. But when I, when I expected attraction and I was afraid of that, he showed me a heart for these women. Mm. He gave me an understanding mm. that they were hurting individuals like me, like yeah. I'd had. Mm -hmm. He gave me an empathy, a heart level empathy, like not fear anymore, but like, oh, that hurts me that you're, you've probably gone through a bunch of crap too. And all of a sudden, my perspective, it just, I put on the lens of God wow. and that helped a lot. Another thing is um, amongst women, when I'd been attracted before, um, I remember being really drawn to this one woman who was leading worship. She mm -hmm. did everything beautifully. She had this warm personality. She drew people in. And I thought, I normally would have thought, oh, I wonder if, you know, yeah, I'm attracted to her. Okay. So, but what happened instead is I remember thinking, how does she do that? So instead of trying to sexualize her, this switch happened in my heart and my head. I thought, how, how can I learn from her? How to be more like her? And I thought, 
wow, I'm actually appreciating the qualities without trying to grasp them the wrong way. Mm. And that was another big shift in my heart and feelings. Anyway, so I got into testimony. I beg your pardon, Elizabeth. Oh, that's good because, I mean, we never get to hear. Yeah, well, there you go. You're right. I often don't share it. You don't I've often share it. Your... so often in the past. Well, probably, right. Right. So mm -hmm. I get to the point where I think, oh, everybody's heard that. So, but no, so those kind of experiences led me to thinking, you know, there is some wisdom, there's some grace, and there's some kindness that's happening in a tender way towards people who are grappling with unwanted same-sex attraction. And I saw it. And then I went to an Exodus conference in San Antonio back in, I think it was 89. And when I went, it might've been 88. Um, I saw a whole bunch of people even more like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there were so many and we bonded. We, we realized we were all on this journey together mm -hmm. and there were many more of us than we thought there were. And uh, many of us were learning different things we could share with each other. And it was just this grassroots sort of thing. Meanwhile, there were probably 75 ministries across the U.S. that were doing the similar thing. And I, and I was leaned from those leaders when they taught a workshop or this or that. And I'm like, I learned something new every time. And uh, when I went after being part of the live-in program, I realized I grew a lot in that one year and I came back a different girl. Yeah. And I had grown a lot more in some cases than other people who had not done intensive work in the year, during mm -hmm. the year, right? So not to my credit, simply because of what I'd invested in, honestly. And yeah. that was an open door for me. So I'm not thinking, wow, Anne's awesome. That's not the point. Yeah. God's awesome. Commitment. He does mm -hmm. the work. Right. So that's how I learned about the ministries. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got to know a whole lot more of them over the years. Um, John and I were on, I eventually noticed men got married. And then at that time, media was starting to take notice of this. Oh, what, what do you mean? There are people who used to be gay? What? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that was the hot topic of the time. And that happened right about when I got married. Yeah. So Oprah Winfrey got wind of us after us being on the 700 Club and Coral Ridge Ministries in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And then it became this big, massive deal. We had no book. We had no nothing. It was just sharing our lives, right? Mm -hmm. So out of that, we met even more people who were helping others who also had left. And then we connected with some counselors who were helping individuals and who were actually psychologists as opposed to normal Christian lay people who were helping others, pastoral mm -hmm. care, right? Um, and pastoral care, people who are pastors or elders of churches and things like that. So we then connected with all that. It became, that led to Love One Out later through Focus on the Family, probably 15 years after that. Meanwhile, I now had a young child who was a year and a half old. Um, no time for anything. You're busy with your little person. And um, and then media took off again. So it was like 400 interviews in one month. And I have wow. a one and a half year old child I'm taking care of. It was really hard, actually. It was amazing, but it was a super hard. It was like riding a wave in Maui where you have to hang on because it will destroy you if you don't yeah, stay in the right position. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, but then 
I was on the board of Exodus at one point, um, right when Bob Davies, the previous director, was exiting. They had just changed the bylaws. I was there right in that time when they reconstructed everything to be a little more firm, more clear with the roles and what have you. So I was in a weird time that I was actually at Exodus and on the board and got to know a whole lot more people through that. Um, the relationships drew me and they're still good relationships. Yeah. And um, there weren't any coercive people. They weren't forcing anybody to, there was no need to do any of that. They had their hands full with people who wanted to leave homosexuality. Um, at the Exodus office wouldn't even, and this was under Bob, they wouldn't even send materials to somebody who called in, hey, I'm a mother of so-and-so, will you send this to my adult child in the mail anonymously? They'd say, no, yeah. we will send it to you, but we will not send it to a third party. We're just not going to do it. I don't care, not a brochure, not nothing. We're not yeah. going to do it. So the, all the accusations of these days, they're like completely unfounded. They're like, so... But, you know, Exodus is now closed. Um, so I, I was when, part of hiring yeah. Alan Chambers, which I regret. Okay. Yeah. Um, he took it the wrong direction and then eventually closed Exodus with an apology yeah. to those who felt they had been harmed. One of whom I knew on the call, another guy, he had been at the very beginning of Exodus. He'd actually left his family, his, his wife and his children, to get be in a sexual relationship with another man who also left his wife and children and then wanted to shut down Exodus because they didn't want that. They didn't want it to exist now because they'd chosen a different pathway. And they've been really hard on their people. And there was a group called Exit, Michael Busey. And he is still around. He's still trying to shut down anything because it brings, I think, conviction upon his soul. He should just let us go about our own business because we're not at all what he claims, right? So he was doing, why don't you just take responsibility for your own actions prior? <laughs> so yeah, personal responsibility that's missing in this equation. Uh, but yeah, so, so Alan, Alan shut it down, but we had noticed some theological problems happening prior to this over the years. And I'd gone to Alan a few times personally and asked him, what do you mean by this? Were you meaning to say this on media? What was your perspective? And, and he, oh no, I was, I just made a mistake on media. No, then he said it three times. Huh, I think you mean what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's deal with it. And when he wasn't willing to deal with it and the board was then hand chosen by him and they weren't gonna make any decision uh, that was different than what he wanted because they were there because of him. Mm -hmm. We realized that there was no longer any help, any hope to right the ship, that it was going, it was this, if he had, if he was the head of CEO of some secular company that makes a food product of some kind, and now his vow is to no longer make that food product or run a food company, he would be fired, right? <laughs> right. Right? So, they wouldn't do that. They threw aside the mission of God to redeem people out of homosexuality and began embracing uh, gay Christian ideology where you bring homosexuality into the church. And when that started happening, we had to confront it. And so we did. They, re they rebuffed our, our appeal to them 
we did it following Matthew 18 perfectly. We wanted to do the right steps to give him the best chance he could to respond and give the board the best chance and they didn't. And so uh, a massive quantity of former Exodus ministries and then new ones that have sprung up said, hey, wait a minute, this is not right. And they, and they rejected that also. And then we started our own organization called Restored Hope and that was in 2012. So it's been around for a little while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's special about Restored Hope Network? What is special about us? We have a great deal of experience, yeah. a lot of kindness. Um, we crazy thing that we had the world's renowned theologian on our board, founding board. He helped write the uh, the theological statements uh, of belief. And I, what I was hoping for, honestly, was something simple like, you know, the Nicene Creed, or right. <laughs> I was like. I was like, half a page, people will read that. 16 pages, not so much. They're not going to read it. <laughs> yeah. So, but a theologian professor. So yeah. he wrote like a book, you know. Right. All right, well, let's bring this down into one page. We ended up with a page and a half. But nonetheless, there were fights over that within the theological opinions and what have you. But we ran it past people who were pretty significant in a bunch of different um, denominations so that they would give us their input and um, they put their thumbprint on it. They were happy to say, okay, we're good with this. Um, yeah. Well, so, so, so I mean, Ken and I regularly refer people to Restored Hope Network. So for people here who don't really know anything about RHN, Restored Hope is a network of ministries yeah. that um, disciple people who have unwanted same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria right. and it's it's ministries and churches as well as counselors yes um so restored hope itself doesn't offer services it just basically sure. is the resource that will point you to different services and one of the beautiful and powerful things about restored hope is that there's an element of accountability that's required from all of the organizations that are involved and there's a right almost a pro there's a probationary period even a reviewing process to be allowed into restored hope network and then consistent accountability so i i you know ken and i will say oh you're in arizona well here here's some here's some people some friends of ours who are in restored hope network we know that <laughs> we know they can be trusted by virtue of that like we don't have to worry that they are now some gay affirming or they're tending towards this other direction which I mean today you just almost never know you never um, know that's and true. so you know that's some I mean that makes it slightly more challenging to become a part of your network perhaps but right. it's, I think it's one of the best benefits of being a part of your network personally well, thank you yeah um, just the recognition that with Exodus Wow things went sideways in a hurry in this way because there was no accountability and responsibility and no ownership for the shifts that were happening right. and this element of command control central that left everybody behind it wasn't like so Exodus had a few leaders that went one direction but the right. member ministries didn't Did not. they didn't agree <laughs> and and so right. it's interesting the member ministries couldn't follow the leadership of Exodus 
Um, and so Exodus as an organization, it still exists worldwide um, in some it's ways. It's different now. Um, mm -hmm. It is um, an offshoot of the old Exodus prior to Ellen. Right. was Exodus Global Alliance, which is a, a group that's really headquartered in Canada. And it oversees some degree of relationships over different parts of the world. But because Exodus came under huge scrutiny and media fire because of Alan doing what he did and continues to do what he's doing, yeah. um, a lot of people left that even overseas. So there's a group in Malaysia called... Uh, uh, oh, oh, I forget. <laughs> I There's seven countries. I think it's plus seven. Yeah. L-U-S. Plus. Um, have you met Trifina? For yeah. Example? She's yeah. so wonderful. Lovely. Yeah. Uh -huh. So there's a whole bunch of people there. There's some in Middle Eastern countries. There's some in, there was a former Exodus group in, in Israel that I'm not real familiar with. I never did meet the mm -hmm. folks there. Uh, but then I refer back to Brian, who's uh, the head of that in Canada, who oversees some relationships internationally. So they have a lot of ministries in South America still, Brazil. Yeah, ministries. There are a couple of, like Shirley in, in Australia as well. Like yeah. just even the, rela it's the relationships, you know, and the ongoing yeah. connections to one another. Um, there are a lot of people out there who, you know, have been, they've been helped out of homosexuality and they're, they're happy to turn around and help someone else. And mm -hmm. that's what, but, you know, making sure that it's quality help or that the person's not, you know, leading people astray theologically or otherwise is well, really important. So, I mean, in part because, many of us are still in our own far country in connection to our churches. Like um, our churches don't even quite want to accept us. And so when you don't have fellowship that will give you appropriate discipleship and accountability and help you continue growth and maturity and right. continue getting whole and healed emotionally, when you have to be kind of on your own, then um, it's important to have someone who's speaking, who's observing your life and speaking into your leadership. Otherwise it goes, it can go sideways. It and we, we sideways. see that way too often. And when none of us are an island unto ourselves, we mm -hmm. are not, it's better not to be lone wolves. Mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, I think that the tendency is when you do isolate or when you are on your own and you don't have fellowship and accountability, then it, it very quickly goes sideways. Number one. And number two, it can go sideways because it's mm -hmm. just you feeding into your own thinking. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's helpful to have other people who've been there, who've, who've had different experiences and are different, different places along the growth pattern in different ways. Like, I'm sure that there are still some pretty immature areas of my life and I'm open to those growing, you know? Yeah. It doesn't happen to be in the area of homosexuality right now, but Hey, you know, humility really goes a long way because we all have something to learn. Everybody. I don't care where you are on the compendium. So yeah, at any age, it's, it's helpful to have a mentor and to have, really? to have people, constantly speaking into your life for any issue, like you said, but just right. spiritual maturity is a process. 
it is. And I think that humility and willingness to have mm -hmm. a mentor is also part of maturity. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so as a means of closing, um, is there anything yeah. that you like anything on your heart that you'd like to share to the changed community or, or anything that you're hearing from the Lord? And this, this is a tough season. So like, can you offer any encouragement? I love the change movement. I think <laughs> I just love what you've done. And I love the folks who are in there. I think um, they're, they're asking and being so humble and being really open about what the struggles are. And I, so treasure that. I think that that goes so far in actually opening up avenues for people to give input and feedback into your yeah. life. I would hope that people don't minimize the struggle so that when people respond, they don't just put a Christian cushion on top and say, yeah, we'll just, just do this. And it, it, they just make it easy and simple. Whereas we need to dig in a little bit. We need to, you know, open up and examine what are the, some of the things that are driving us towards uh, yeah. sin struggle. Mm -hmm. And so I would hope that that would be the case and definitely no shame in struggling. Um, I know that you, know, you have a combination of people in that group. Uh, some are parents who want to see their kids overcome right now, which is often the case of the person struggling. They want to see it gone now. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the problem is we are people that need growth. We're we're born as babies, we grow up into young people, we grow up into adulthood, and that's mm -hmm. the same way it works with um, overcoming sin struggle and growing in Christian maturity. It's not this, it's not really a name it and claim it thing. It's a, I see where I'm going, I know that's true, and I'm going to get there. Mm -hmm. but yeah. I need to walk the hard ground and climb over the boulders and move some out of the way, and there's a little bit of hard work along the pathway. And it's okay. And, and give yourself grace for that because hard work isn't bad. It's a, it's a good thing. Um, it, it helps strengthen our muscles. And I actually need some of that right now. <laughs> Just all the COVID stuff. Right. But it helps us strengthen our relational muscles and lean into people. Um, you know, learn from them and ask them look at them with new eyes and see uh, the beauty in each of the persons that regardless of where they are in their struggle, there's so much beauty. Mm -hmm. There's so much um, gem. And Jesus saw you and I when we were like, when I was an absolute utter mess and he right. saw something worth redeeming. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. He sees that in you, Miss Elizabeth. He sees that in Ken. He sees that in your spouses. He sees right. that in each precious person on the change page, whether parent or ch uh, uh, some person struggling. And honestly, I see it. And I think, go for it, you guys, because you are worth it. You are so beloved. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the whole reason why this is even something to call sin is because you are worth calling it that because you're worth calling out of sin. You contain something that God sees and, and I see through his eyes as being so incredibly precious and worth more than gold. Yeah. Worth all, all that Jesus went through because he loves you so much. And I know that's sometimes hard to personalize, but the truth of the matter is you are worth that. You are worth every bit of it. And um, precious 
to me and precious to Elizabeth and Ken and precious to God. Ultimately, yeah. we look so to him. Good. We get that heart from him. So, so good. Thank bless you. you all. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. I feel like I'm just talking to Elizabeth. I'm really <laughs> glad you guys are here. If, so. so to find Restored Hope Network on the internet, is it restoredhope.network.org? I wish it was shorter, but we couldn't get that. Restoredhopenetwork.com restored or .org. And, .org. and you, you know, I want everyone to go and check it out, see the ministries that are listed there and support those ministries and, and uh, learn, um, follow the YouTube, the new YouTube channel. And, oh, yeah, right. Um, yeah. Uh, so many great resources and trustworthy souls, part of Restored Hope Network. And so um, as we close, could you just pray for everybody? I would love to. Lord, thank you so much for Ken and Elizabeth. Thank you for the leadership at Bethel. Thank you for uh, those who are part of the change movement. And Lord, I just want to lift up each area in their lives. Yes, they're going through difficulty, and some days it's awesome, and some days it's a hard time. And so, Lord, I ask that they would seek you and ask what the hard time is about, to, to go deeper and to allow you to shine light that brings life into their hearts and a new perspective that comes from you that changes everything. And so, Lord Jesus, would you come and minister to my brothers and sisters? Would you minister to them in such a way that doesn't bring shame, but brings forth hope and real soul healing? And if there's trauma under there like mine, Lord, that they would sense your tenderness, that you wrap yourself around them, Lord, and fill them with a sense that you love them desperately and that you want to um, work out all elements of redemption in their souls. And so, Lord, I, I bless the work that you're doing in them already and ask that you would further it for your own glory and for, your, for their love of you, Lord, for the rebounding of praise back to the throne because you deserve it, Lord, because you, you just... You do something no one else does. You see value where no one else sees it. And um, we love you, Lord. We give you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank Elizabeth, you so much. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for, for joining us. So glad yeah. that you could make time to join us. And um, I look forward to talking to you again. Well, I look forward to it too. Thanks for listening. We're glad you joined us. For more content, visit changemovement.com and follow us on social media. And remember, changed is possible.